What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Misfits with the regulars, myself, Hannah, and Sarah. (laughs) And in this episode, we have a very special guest, a good friend of ours. Um, His name is Micah. And he's a student, soon to be alumni of Trinity Western University in Langley, British Columbia. His pronouns are he and they, and so we'll be using a mix of these during this episode. While Micah understands the limitations of labels, Micah has gotten more comfortable describing themselves as neurodiverse, a survivor, queer, post-Christian-ish, Pentecostal-ish, and a Jesus stan. And um, he's currently based in Vancouver, BC. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, before we dive into the meat of this episode, we usually ask a question to our guest. And that is, would you consider yourself as a misfit? If so, why? If not, why not? And yes, let's welcome Micah. Welcome, Micah. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, Thank you for being here. So, yeah, I, with this question, um, I grew up feeling very out of place in all of the contexts I was in, like both at church, um, at school, in my family. And I think that was just because there was a lot of stuff that I had going on internally that I couldn't talk about safely. And that led to like a lot of shame, which we can probably talk about later. Right. Um, but what's really interesting is as I've grown up and as I've found my communities, like I don't feel like a misfit in the same way. I feel like a reclaimed misfit, if that makes sense. Like Ooh, I feel I like, like someone who might not fit in in like big S society or big C church. Mm. Um, But I know that I fit in, in terms of like being called to these places and Mm. being called to be a change maker, being called to um, be in relationship with certain people and with the communities that I'm in now, like even though I completely feel like I fit in there. um, Yeah. Like I still feel like a misfit but in a new way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So do you mean like misfit in terms of like, as you mentioned, within the larger society? Because as, as so Mike is a, a close friend of ours listeners. And so we've we've always had these conversations where um, we talk about this phrase called chosen family or um, we describe one another as our safe space um, in order for us to to figure ourselves out to sharpen one another you know iron sharpens iron but in a in a healthy way um but do you mean in the sense of outside of the communities that you're participating in you still feel like you're a misfit in a sense and not with any sort of negative connotation attached to that like I think I feel like I maybe I don't feel like a misfit because I feel like I found my place but I will call myself a misfit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. So with the whole idea of the recognition. Yeah. Like, I am almost, like, proud of the idea that I don't fit in, that I don't, 
decide like I want things to be the way they've been because that involves like mm-hmm. I guess just accepting the status quo like I don't want to accept the status quo I want things mm-hmm. to be better like I want to participate in like bringing healing to the places I'm in um and that involves being a misfit totally um before we because this that even what you've said is we can dive way deeper into that as well and extrapolate on that but I think Hannah and I know you well uh we've known you for a couple years now but for the listeners that have just been introduced to you as a wonderful being um what did your childhood look like okay um so my childhood has a lot of things that have defined it um both experiences that I went through experiences in my family um so one of the core things so when I was like a zero to five year old I was an only child then my parents blessed me with amazing siblings um my middle brother Jonah my younger brother Caleb so there's three of us three boys the brown boys um Caleb was born with trisomy 9p which is Hmm. um like a trisomy is a chromosomal disorder it's a translocation and so every cell in his body has been coded like differently than what is expected and that's left him with like a developmental disability so the most notable trisomy is down syndrome so think kind of similar to that um Caleb has become like a lot more verbal over the years, but he like still isn't as verbal as like we are. Like he talks in kind of like fragmented sentences. Um, He struggles with like going to the bathroom with looking after himself. Um, He can't really cook or do anything. And he's, he's 17 turning 18 this year, which is crazy to me. Um, And he's like one of the pride and joys of my life. Like I'm so grateful for him. And he taught me a lot about compassion um, and, like, caring for people who are disabled very, very young. So, yeah, that has been, like, a very defining piece because Caleb was hospitalized so much and needed so much intense care. Um, And so for me and my middle brother, we had to look after ourselves a lot and then also, like, babysit. And one of, like, the cool things that I learned very young was, like, okay... Caleb has different learning needs so I'm gonna take the opportunity to try to like teach him these things but I can't teach him the way you would teach like a neurotypical perfectly abled baby so like one of the interesting things that I did younger was like I taught him how to make o sounds and he couldn't make them until he was around like five or six and the way I taught him how to make those sounds was by teaching him how to blow bubbles and so when he made like bubbles he was able to make his lips fit into the o sound so yeah there was just like different ways that i had to learn how to like teach these skills and i think caleb is like a big part of why i love education um and like i'm studying to be either a teacher or like somewhere in the psychology field but special ed has been a huge like joy of my life i guess so that was just like a big theme in terms of like my family environment um another kind of interesting piece and y'all can kind of relate to this my parents were missionaries 
So like it's a little bit different, obviously. Yeah. Um. So my parents were missionaries, and when they got married, they went to. <coughs> sorry. Um. So they went to the Middle East when they first got married, and. Yeah. So they like started their marriage there. Um. We're trying to do. What they considered ministry. Um, and they ended up eventually coming back after, I think, experiencing a miscarriage and going through a bunch of things there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, like, I've spent most of my life, like, in Ontario, Hamilton, Ontario, and the last, like, five or six years in BC. Um, but my parents, like, a lot of, mm. like, uh, like, they spent a lot of time overseas as well. Um... So I grew up like in a very, I don't know how to phrase it, like a uh, kind of diverse home life, even though we were like this like white Canadian family, um, like the church my parents wanted to go to was an international church. Um, they wanted to be surrounded by like multicultural, international, globally minded communities. Mm. Um mm-hmm. And so in Hamilton, Ontario, where they settled down and started raising their family, um, I went to a church there that was like an international church. And that meant it was a lot of um, Black and Indigenous people of color. Um, Mm. There, like it was gospel music. Um, I grew up like singing Israel Hooten, um, Kirk Franklin. Like in our van, we would listen to like Salvador, Nicole C. Mullen, and like we had like yeah like there were all of these artists that like I still appreciate and love so much in my heart but a lot of like the Christian community that I came to know during like my time at Trinity has not known the same (laughs) artists because they've been immersed in like very very white like evangelical subculture so like that's kind of one of the weird things it's like I spent 15 years in this international church that was still very like very christian very evangelical Mm. but it like its culture was a little bit different um and then as a teenager my family uh decided to make the switch to a church that my uncle was pastoring at still in hamilton called people's church and i like have so much love for that church um but it was much more like that white evangelical subculture and that wasn't like like i'm very grateful for my time there that wasn't a bad thing i think the pentecostal assemblies of canada which is the denomination that peoples is part of like i think it's a pretty decent denomination in the grand scope of canadian denominations um but it's it's a church and no church is perfect there are things they can work on um and they have but a large part of my church environment growing up, a lot of the pastors were women, um, family structures and like leaders in the church. Women were leading. Women were equal heads of the household. Um, I know. <laughs> so heretical. And I grew up hearing like in youth group and all these things like mutual submission <gasps> as oh opposed goodness. to male headship. No. I know. That's so um, heretical. <laughs> So, oh my goodness. So yeah. Horrible. So it was weird because like 
I my dad would tell me like don't be a feminist. <gasps> no, feminism they're feminazis. No, and oh, I wow. internalized that. No, that but then I also believed <laughs> men and women were called to mutual <laughs> submission in the family. So it was really weird. Like I had all of these like anti-feminist like shallow beliefs, but then in my core I was very feminist. So how did you how did you reconcile these two very kind of different ideologies? So I think it was. Like, mostly because my dad, he came from a reformed background and, like, transitioned into Pentecostal, like, churches. And then my mom grew up in Pentecostal churches, so there was a lot of division in their own marriage. And so Mm -hmm. the way that they would teach me about Christianity was also a bit different, even though they tried to have, like, congruence. But when I came to Trinity, that was when I realized, crap, everyone here believes different things than I believe. Right. Oh, my goodness. And like when I saw that there were people who didn't believe women could be pastors, Hmm. I was like, is this spiritually abusive? Is this okay?" (laughs) Like and I ended up for some reason deciding like, oh, "Oh, it's just, you know, it's a denominational difference. It's okay. They can believe that women can't be pastors. Right. But I still thought it was wrong. (laughs) Like, it's funny. (laughs) But like, but I was like, you know what? People. They just believe what they believe. They're allowed to be hateful. And that was my mentality kind of for a year or two. And then I started realizing, crap, I've been holding on to the secret that I am gay since my childhood. I should probably do something with that. There's the mic drop. Yeah. So like that whole time, y'all, that whole childhood, I was holding on to all these things inside. And I was living that good Christian boy life. Wow. And then I was like, shoot, Jesus, I'm gay, and I don't know what to do with this. Right. So, like, my my entire beginning of that journey was me saying, okay, I'm submitting this 1,000% mm. to Jesus. I am not going to go any direction that God does not call me to. And I am just going to read the scriptures. I am going to pray. That's it. I'm not listening to podcasts, no books. I just want this to be between me and God in the word. Mm. And I thought... At what age was that? This was like... I was probably 19. This was my second year of university. Mm -hmm. And I was a student leader at Trinity at the time. And my entire mentality was like... I will probably end up being called to celibacy. And I am okay with that. Wow. I probably won't have Mm -hmm. a family. But I'm okay with that. I want to follow Jesus in this. And um, did you, I mean, do you still believe that? Or did that no. change? <laughs> so I mean, that changed. Um, how did you get there? Like, Yeah, so in my second right. year, like, as I mentioned, I was kind of just reading the Bible and praying. And as I was reading the Bible, that was when I started saying, wait, if in my heart I believe that men and women are called to mutual submission... And I believe in like the, the equality, like equality of the genders, mm-hmm. like, and I believe that women are not meant to be fertile and that they are not sinning if they have cancer or are sterile. And I believe that that marriage is healthy and beautiful. Then, like, I started realizing all of these things right. that right. were used as arguments about why gay people couldn't get married or have families or be in love. There it is. And and I realized (laughs) that I had all of this internalized hate and internalized beliefs that 
like gay people were and content warning like i'm about to name some pretty heavy things like thank you pedophiles bestiality like i thought this was all the same like it was all sexual immorality um i thought like promiscuity like all of these things were the sexual immorality that i saw paul listed in scripture Mm -hmm. and then there was one day i just and i i look back on this i'm not sure what to make of this fully but i felt like the spirit was prompting me to go and pray and i Mm -hmm. went to like the lounge in my school and i was sitting in front of the fireplace and i felt like the holy spirit was like micah pray just like pray with me and so as i was like praying these things through i felt like god was like micah I've been with you this whole year, this whole journey, the past eight months, and Mm -hmm. you have read the Bible, you've discerned these things, and you still don't know what to think about, like, queerness and sexuality, Mm -hmm. so we're going to process this tonight. And I I was hearing this, and I didn't believe that it would be that simple. I didn't think the penny would drop. I didn't think the mic would drop. Right. And what I felt like, like the Spirit brought me to was this place where I realized that a lot of sexual immorality is at its core selfishness and mm-hmm. it's about self-gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, well. and exactly. Like I, I felt like the spirit was taking me through all of these labels that I called sexual immorality and like promiscuity. Like I thought at the time, like, Oh shoot, this is about <clears throat> you satisfying your own, desires not caring about another person that's what i thought promiscuity was um when it came to like pedophilia that's not caring about the well-being of a child there's no consent and at the time i didn't use the language of consent but i Mm -hmm. realized that it was all about your own consideration and not considering the other party like Mm -hmm. with animals it's the same thing with like cheating on your spouse it's the same thing Mm -hmm. like it is caring about your own needs um Mm -hmm. and so that was like the first processing into Mm -hmm. sexual immorality without the framework of consent and consent makes it that much more rich in my opinion it like allows Mm -hmm. you to discern these things that much more fully but at the time that was my realization that wow queer love is love And Mm -hmm. it is not selfish in itself. It can be as with any other form of sex. Right, right. So that was my Holy Spirit moment of like, Micah, you can integrate this. You can hope in the future for your own marriage, for your own relationship, Uh um, for your own like sex life. And you don't have to feel ashamed anymore. And that was like, I had kind of come out to a few people but yeah that was my second year journey there that like obviously i hannah and i know micah personally listeners so i'm just doing my best not to break (laughs) because (laughs) when it comes to queer trauma and queer stories like that always especially if you're you're kind of trying to self-actualize through a faith or a religious context it's it gets murky it gets complicated but um that's uh, that's I know I hate this language used with evangelical culture but like that's your Jesus moment where Jesus does this so many times through through the synoptic gospels where we see examples of Jesus kind of affirming someone's identity and from that they're able to step 
into fully becoming themselves, into fully becoming who Jesus calls them to be. Um, And then, you know, how some certain passages Jesus goes and says, uh, go and sin no more. Um, (laughs) As if it's like super easy. But Mm. it's it's more in the sense of, uh, you know, with with a Jewish tradition of, of just shalom and being holistic in our approach to life. And in your Holy Spirit moment, Micah, it's 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 it was a spirit saying, okay, let's let's pull this from under the rug. Let's pull this from out of the closet Literally. and and let's wear this like this. This is all of you, you know, and, and I'm trying to synthesize it and communicate it in a way that's cohesive without breaking. No, totally. But... Like the Holy Spirit was like, <laughs> hey, there's all these pieces that have been broken and shattered hmm. and we're going to make something beautiful out of that. That's totally what it was. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, my heart. <laughs> I know. Like, we're trying not to cry here, listeners, but Aww. this is very touching. <laughs> and we're just so proud of Micah. He's, oh my yeah. goodness, amazing human. Y'all don't even know his complete story, but we'll try and dive into that today. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that kind of brings the question to my mind with um, Sarah Bessie mentions in her Miracles book. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this on another podcast episode as well. But she mentions this idea of like before and after. There's this kind of uh, shoot. I forgot the the word for it. The, the, there's this term within shamanism as well, where we have this kind of like spiritual revelation. And it's funny because in in evangelical language or in our language, in Christian language, we call it the Holy Spirit moment. But in our Holy, after our Holy Spirit moment happens, there's this recognition of before and after. We have this 2020 hindsight. We can see what happened in our past. And then we can also hope and look to the future. But anyways, this whole long preface is me trying to ask the question of how is your faith journey different now than when where you were at when you were younger with regards to the intersection of your sexuality and faith? So one of the things that like really defined my queerness as a kid was that I was surviving. And I think a lot of us can relate to that where it's like, we are so desperately trying to protect ourselves. We're filled Mm. with fear about like what the world would think, what our families would think. Um, Mm. And so I was just like, there was so much shame and so much internalization um, before like my Holy Spirit moment, so to speak. And it Mm. wasn't like that. And I want to be clear, like, I don't think that was a one moment thing that took like eight months of work. There was all this processing. I had like, I, I had come out to a few people. Um, I had even submitted my story at the time to like 1TW that fall. Mm. Like there was all of these things happening in the background. And I look back and I'm like, the Holy Spirit was working through all of this, not just those Mm, eight months, but my whole life to get me to that moment where Mm. I could integrate this and be like, wow, I am loved. I am not a dirty, broken, evil, sin like full person. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I am, like, for lack of a better word, sur- a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, I it unearthed a lot of things. Like that was a moment that was like, okay, Micah, you've integrated this. That's unfortunately just the beginning of all the work to come. period it had been a journey but it was just the beginning (laughs) that shadow work honey (laughs) literally oh my goodness and that's that's a great point to to make as well micah that um just the whole i I know we're trying to reclaim this whole idea of like coming out 
um, and switching it up to this mindset mm-hmm. of like, who are we trusting enough to be let in? Um, hmm. And who deserves to be let in to our space? Who deserves to be let into that? Like such a, a, a beautiful part of how God created us and how God shaped us. That's definitely a core part of who we are. Um, but it's not a linear process this whole it's not coming out and even going through trauma work as well it's not like this one holy spirit revelation moment happens and wow we are a perfect individual we are totally living in shalom (laughs) um no trauma work and shadow work is fucking hard (laughs) and it is so tiring especially amidst uh all this you know the buzzword of deconstruction and all that stuff but yeah y'all i was a student i was working it was a lot (laughs) yeah yeah this guy would take like what six courses i don't even know and he would oh my god that was at the time and then and then i couldn't then i had to start taking like three (laughs) i remember (laughs) that but and that's okay oh my god absolutely seasons like y'all if you are in university take your time know that you are not alone in the stress right and there's also uh, like not to to beg on book learning obviously like academic learning is super important but to synthesize that as well alongside experiential learning (laughs) is is, is super important like Um, work do things you love go on trips even if they're short distances like spend time with friends learn from new people get that extra tequila shot listen to the misfits (laughs) (laughs) literally get that extra tequila shot get uh get that get that plane ticket once the world opens up whenever it'll open up <laughs> amen Go um, to Mexico. you, you okay. mentioned uh micah that um that process took eight months mm. um so did you have a good community supporting you at the time or how good did question. you yeah. find a community that you can trust right for you so to during open that time up? yeah yeah i i like at the time it was the community that I had and I needed, I guess it wasn't probably the best community. Like it was still very evangelical, still very missionary and colonial. Um, but it was like also very diverse. Like I was on intercultural programs at the time I was befriending like so many international students and missionary kids. Um, and you come to find out years later, a lot of them are also queer but at the time i was the one who was like doing my first steps in that journey so to speak oh wow and that's not to like brag on myself but it's like i think my processing helped other people Hmm. like feel seen and valid like i would come out to someone and like less than a month later they would come out to me and it's like that's how it works you know um (laughs) But the thing was, we were all trying to figure out what our boundaries were, what that would mean for our futures. And a lot of them were bi. But it was weird because, like, here I was knowing I was monosexual. I could not fathom the idea of sex with a woman, no matter how, like, let's be honest. Women are the bomb.com. They are beautiful. They are stunning. They smell nice. They have nice fashion. Like... (laughs) Like, and this is not to hate on men. Like, men are also good in their own ways. Amen. But when I look, like, I think there was a lot of weird shame that, like, told me, you're a man. You're dirty. You have perverse desires. Mm. You cannot be trusted around women. 
women are the ones oh who gosh. will make you better. And oh, it was this wow. weird inverse of purity culture and like women experience like that's like it's it's so frustrating because it's like women will be told the same thing but then men will be told about women that women right. are pure and will help them become better. And so my construct was that how can I possibly be a decent person if I don't have a woman? Oh. Which was really weird. Interesting. Um, so I also had to deconstruct that during that time. Mm. But yeah, purity culture is weird. It's it's so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know your faith is obviously a big, important part of your overall identity, but what has helped shape your identity other than your faith, if if anything? Um, so also during my second year, I was grappling with the like fact and idea that I had ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I dealt with that for a long time because it's like, as a kid, I had all sorts of behavioral issues. Like, it's really funny now because a lot of my friends will be like, wow, like, Mikey, you're just so loving, so compassionate. They'll call me like a gentle giant. Like, And I'm like, wow. But as a kid, I was dealing with a lot at home and in school, and I had a lot of behavioral issues. And I realized, like, I, it was so clear that I had ADHD, and I was struggling in school during my second year. My first year, like, I had made it through, but, like, there was so much going on in my life. And so I went and, like, to the doctor, and I ended up getting diagnosed, and I was shook. Like, I literally couldn't believe I had ADHD. And this this is, like, kind of funny, but I grew up with that idea that, like, a lot of mental illnesses were just demonic, oh my that goodness. they could be prayed away, wow. right? Like, a lot right. of us had that, where it's like, hmm. you're not depressed, you just need to be positive. You just right. need to pray and let God take that away from you. Right. Yeah. And so with ADHD, it was kind of the same thing, and I didn't oh. believe I had it for a long time, even when the medication worked. And when it worked, I would end up going off of it because I'd hate myself on it. So it was this weird blend of like, Mm. on the one hand, ADHD helps me study, helps me learn, helps me socialize, helps me with all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like my brain isn't working the same way when I'm on them. Mm. And so I don't want to be on meds. Mm. So, yeah, that was also something I was processing. Um... And now, like, I'm in this place where I'm like, wait, yeah, I have ADHD. I am neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. And that is a good and, like, awesome thing that makes me me. And it has a lot of drawbacks, a lot of negatives. But it also gives me a lot of cool perspectives. Kind of like being queer does. Totally. And it's weird because that's still, it's not even, um, it's not even a rhetoric that has um, aged and, and, receded into the past this whole idea of like oh if you name your depression that demon will go away you know um your adhd is something that you just need to rebuke like i've seen a lot of um things online where people are still perpetuating those same harmful messages where people will eventually just shame themselves because they're neurodiverse that's it (laughs) um Hmm. but i guess because you're in this this is another one of the intersections that you're experiencing life from but how would you bring that conversation to the church in a way that the church you know we always say the church as in capital c church but in a way that the evangelical church can approach this 
in a healthier way rather than just once again rebuking it because it's another ploy of Satan, <laughs> you know? So part of my education has been special education mm -hmm. and I've done a lot of learning on like different neurodiversities and like disabilities. Um, and I just think education is the most important part of it. People need to be right. able to listen. Mm -hmm. They need to be willing to learn and trust it. Like a big part of why I think church culture struggles with this is because they don't believe what they hear when they hear it. If someone with autism right. or ADHD tells them, this is an experience that I have and it hurts me when you do this, a lot of people will say, I don't believe that. Yeah. And part of that, I think, has been that it's been so normal to dismiss medicine and science right, in right. favor of our religious beliefs. And we think that they're separate. We think that if science and medicine goes against our religious beliefs, mm -hmm. that science and medicine are wrong. But that's not true. Like, God created science and medicine, didn't he? Right. Like, yeah. so when right. we are approaching these conversations, I think before we even start the education process, we have to go to that place of, yo, Jesus did create everything. Jesus is, like, God was, did all these amazing things, but science and medicine are not necessarily wrong. Right. And we can actually listen and believe people. And once yeah. that work has been done, once people are willing to be like, wait, maybe mm -hmm. God used evolution to create everything. Don't That's not that, heretical. Micah. Don't say I that, know. Micah. <laughs> I know. Like, we don't know. Like, at the end of the day, like, no one was yeah. there. Like, God could have done whatever the heck they wanted, you know? No, and we as once human we beings accept... should not evolve. Never evolve. <laughs> Just stay the never, same. Never, never. No. No. But once that <laughs> happens, then I think people are able to be like, oh, wait, there is this person, my neighbor, who is hurting that I have hurt. Oh and gosh, now I can it. listen and learn about their experiences and integrate that so I can be a better Christian and a better person as a whole. Way to just ground it with neighbor. Yes. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So, yeah, I think education comes second to that core shift in value. Um, I think that just even with what you've said, we can trace this whole distrust towards science through mm. our historical roots of the faith, honestly. And like we could take it all the way back to Galileo and how they called him a heretic. Because <laughs> um and or Einstein even. Yeah, and like people still operate as though the world doesn't like revolves around Christianity still. Like we're still the the paramount of the universe, but ugh, I don't know, God gives us so many humbling lessons to realize that there's this so is much why i'm getting job. more comfortable with the language of like post-christian mm -hmm. because like when i was at trinity a lot of the language used around post-christian was that like we were experiencing persecution that christians were fading into the background in a negative way right and i realized like a lot of universities when they talk about the post-christian environment they're just meaning like the breakdown of like christian supremacy like mm -hmm. we're realizing that like wait a lot of these things have hurt people so like yes we love jesus yes we love christians but we're also going to listen to the other people that we've like pushed away from the table for so long mm. like, like we're gonna love our muslim neighbor and our jewish neighbor right and and just even within i know people always refer to it as like the 
Judeo-Christian faith, but really those two are separate things. We, we brought this up even during our Bible study. One of our friends, Paul, mentioned this. But within the Jewish faith tradition as well, they acknowledged that there was different perspectives when it, come, when it came to approaching Yahweh. Um, mm. There was no one way to approach Yahweh because people had different ways to access God and to talk to God. And yet it's so difficult within evangelical Christianity to acknowledge that there's other perspectives outside of the local fishbowl that we have as a church sometimes. Literally. Now that you've progressed this far, and Mama Ru always does this, but what would you like to say to your younger self from where you are at Ooh. now? <laughs> Yo, those parts in the episodes break oh, me. Every single time, it breaks me. So, uh, for people who don't know, yeah. It's from RuPaul. Yeah, Drag RuPaul's Race. Drag Race. Yeah. Definitely recommend. Like, maybe those <laughs> earlier seasons, I don't recommend them as much. But, like, the latest seasons, a lot less toxic, a lot more wholesome. And honestly, RuPaul's Drag Race is, like, basically, like, gay Christianity 101. So... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, when it comes to, like, my younger self, like, I did some inner child work last fall mm. and it was what do you mean by that as in like counseling the... or yeah so i like went to like therapy mm. because okay i'm trying i'm trying to think of like if we have time for this totally basically i was processing some really heavy stuff in my childhood that mm. was like really really intense and there were like weeks where i just had been so unable to sleep mm. And I could only sleep during the day. Mm. And I ended up needing, like, therapy, like, in an emergency way. Uh, like, not, like, a physical emergency. But I was just like, yo, like, I need therapy. I can't sleep. Mm. And so they got me in. And that, like, appointment, part of it, like, the exercise was picturing your younger self beside you. Oh, geez. And what you okay. would tell them. And like I had always thought it was like so airy fairy like new age kind of stuff and I was like wait no I can literally see them and I see like how vulnerable and in pain they were mm. and here I am now as an adult and even though like life is hard I'm safe at the end of the day I have security mm. I have mm. community and I was mm. like it at the time it was like wow like I'm like I'm here I'm saving you. And one of, like, this is, like, a really weird memory, potentially. But my school, when I was in grade two, was doing a time capsule. And I was being, like, abused in, like, really insane ways. And I wrote in a letter, help me, I'm being abused. Grade two? Thinking that, and, oh and I thought, goodness. when this time capsule is dug up, someone can save me in the future someone who wow. someone who can time travel My will be goodness. able to save me My and God. what's crazy is during that appointment like all these years later i remembered that and i was Jeez. like i'm saving you i'm here mm. you do not need to feel in pain or vulnerable anymore so mm. that's what i would tell myself like yeah i'm proud of you yeah, we're proud of you, Micah. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. And we know that it's not easy to share that part. Thanks, and I'm going to beat, wh beat whoever's ass. <laughs> Bring them. 
Yeah. I will throw hands. You, you and yeah. my mom and like a committee of like amazing badass. As people I'm crying, I will fall. throw hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll follow them to their homes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, but like no cap though. I'm no, so I mean, proud of you and ugh. Yes. The breakthroughs. Thanks for sharing your story with us in this episode. Um, so for the listeners, um, we hope that you got something from this, whether it's loving your neighbor or keeping an open mind that not everybody is the same, whether you're a Catholic, Muslim, or atheist. Um, we can all have an open dialogue without hurting each other and just being kind and just trying to love our neighbor, as Jesus, have told us. Or has told us. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> and even um. <laughs> just like loving yourself till the time capsule passes and you realize you're the one on the other side. Amen. Like yeah. you, Amen. you'll get there. Yeah. yeah. We'll get there when we get there. there. But like don't... I hate saying it gets better, <laughs> but like just hang in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sun will come out eventually, yeah. And thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you again next time.